Genesis 29, we're going to cover the first 30 verses, and then we'll take 31 through uh, 30, 24 next week. Let me pray, because uh, this is one of those chapters when you're reading through it, you're just, you're imagining when I'm looking out at the audience, what kind of faces you're going to get, because this is one of those chapters. Father, thank you for this time. This is your word, and we must teach it, because you included it in the story of Genesis for a reason. And your word is true, it is perfect, it is right, it is without error. And so we teach all of it. We don't skip big sections that don't fit well with us because we know you have purposes for us in every piece of scripture. And so, Lord, as I teach this this morning, I pray that myself and every person in this room would walk away encouraged knowing that you're the God of love and you love us so much you won't leave us in our sinful state. Not only will you save us, but you will sanctify us. You will make us holy. And Lord, we know sometimes that hurts. And Lord, sometimes we don't listen to good counsel. You just have to give us life experience. Just pray we would learn from this. We would walk away encouraged. We would walk away more um, understanding of how you love us, even in discipline. In Jesus' name, amen. I can already tell. I can see some of the faces like, where is he going with this? Well... I'm just going right through the book of Genesis, and it's chapter 29. Uh, If you're following along from wrestling with God to resting in God, if you open that up, first things first. This is a Bible study methods hermeneutic. Some of you are taking Bible study methods on Monday night and put this in with your what you're being taught so well on Monday nights. This is the principle. Descriptive, not prescriptive. This is a Bible study methods principle that guides us by keeping us from making hyper little connections of the Bible times to our life. Often the Bible describes a situation that happened to teach us a general principle without prescribing everything in the passage. Okay, so you're going to see things in here we're not going to promote. (laughs) You're going to see things in here that just don't go right along with life. But that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. God doesn't hide his hero's flaws. He shows us all of life. He shows us all of Abraham who lied twice. He showed us Isaac who lied in the same way as daddy did. And he's going to show us Jacob, the deceiver, and how he gets now schooled in deception. And so it breaks down at the well and at the weddings, two of them. And it breaks down into the blessing of God and the discipline of God. And if you say weddings, wait a second, do we believe in polygamy? No, we don't. And on the back, digging deeper, I put a little paragraph in there if you want to see what the Bible says about polygamy. It's allowed at times, never endorsed. You can read more about that on the back. So let's just buckle up. And here we go. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well." And so there's the introductory verses, and that's what a well would look like in that time. It's a big place, and so they would put a stone over it. And here's the reason. They'd put a stone over that place, kind of like we have today if you own a ranch or something with water rights. This is, we have rights to this water. But it was to keep uh, 
dirt and varmints out of it. And so it was a primitive way of regulating your water reservoirs. And so what we have in these first three verses is here's the person, Jacob. He's going to the place of the east. And here's the process. He comes to the place of the well. And just backing up a little bit, remember Jacob had friction with his brother. There was famine in the land. There was fear. And then last week he had a personal encounter with God. They're in covenantal relationship with one another. This is a saved man. If you were to follow the chapters, like on the back here, you would see that Jacob was a sinner. Jacob was a sinner saved by grace. And now Jacob's going to be, for the rest of the time we see Jacob, a sinner sanctified by grace. He is a saved sinner sanctified by grace. And you're going to see, remember last week, God gave him a promise. I'm going to give you this land that you, where you're lying here with your head on this rock. I'm going to give you this land. I know you're leaving, but I'm going to bring you back here and I'm going to give you this land. And you're going to have uh, children and you're going to be a blessing to the entire earth. Well, to get children, right? Biblically speaking, we need to have a wife. And so that's what you're going to see right here in 29. Jacob's going to get him a wife. And you'll notice something that in 28, 22, uh, the word God's house is mentioned, but you won't see the word God again until 30. And then you're going to see in 28, 21, the Lord Yahweh is mentioned. You won't see his name mentioned until 30, uh, 29, 31. But don't let think that God's not watching. Proverbs 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil. And so here we have Jacob. He comes to the right place, the right people and the right person. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran. There's the right place. His mother said, go to Haran where my brother is. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. He's got the right people. So he's in the right place. It's the right people. In verse 6, and he said it to them, is it well with him? Is this this the the Laban I'm thinking of? And they said, it is well. And see, his daughter, Rachel, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And so Jacob takes a look. He sees this girl coming with her sheep. Right place, right people. Here comes a girl. That's good stuff. And by the way, did you notice when it said we were at the well, there were three flocks of sheep. So this is a pretty sizable well to take care of the sheep. This is the right place. This is the right land. God is blessing. Verse 7, and he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. So here, here is Jacob. Sinner saved by grace, he's stepping up to manhood, he's maturing a little. He's got some things to go, but he's maturing a little. He's working the situation. Hey guys, you got to go take care of the cattle. He sees Rachel coming, fellas, go take care of the cattle. You know what I'm saying, guys? It's good. He's, he understands the situation. He's showing forethought, showing initiative. Got to love this guy. But here's the problem. But they said, we cannot. We cannot go to the livestock. We cannot until the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then the water, then we water the sheep. And you saw earlier in verse three that the shepherds, plural, would roll that stone away because it's a big stone. So there's the problem. Well, here's what happens in verse nine. And while she, he was still speaking with him, he's trying to work the situation where he would be alone While he's still speaking, Rachel came with her father's sheep 
for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So here's the inside boy, right? This is Jacob. This is the cook. This is not the hunter. But here comes the beautiful girl. He must have been doing P90X or something because he goes single-handedly, moves that stone and says, can I serve you? Can I water the flock for you? Stepping up into manhood, he, he goes and he serves her, made a good first impression. I'm strong. I can provide. And then this is what's descriptive. Then Jacob said, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. He's never talked to her once. He moves the stone. He waters her flock and then he lays one on her. Young boy sitting in the back row or next to your daddy. This is not how we, this is descriptive. This isn't prescriptive. This is not how we do it. You don't go score a touchdown, run over to the cheerleader and lay one on her. That's just not how it's done. Descriptive. Okay? And then he weeps aloud. Now, that's kind of awkward, but here's what he's thinking. Here comes Rachel. Here's this beautiful woman, and she's got this flock coming with her, okay? In Texas, it's the babe with the bass boat. Here she's coming, and he sees her, and he's all excited, and he says, God in heaven promised me that if I go to these people, he's going to provide me with a wife from this people, and then I'm going to have a blessing. He sees her. She's beautiful. He kisses her. He weeps. God is providing. God's blessing comes to us every day. We just have to have our eyes open to it. Notice there's nothing miraculous going on here, maybe except for Jacob lifting off the rock. I don't know. Maybe he did push-ups. And when Jacob told Rachel, now here's another good thing, young boys and fathers with daughters, you want this kind of man coming. Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And then she told and ran her father. He did the good thing here. He steps up into manhood. He serves her. Now, obviously, when he gave her a kiss, that's what you do in that day to your family. You can still go to Europe these days and you can do the kiss on both sides. It's in our New Testament, greet each other with a holy kiss. That's just not the culture we live in. We can bump, blow it up. You can shake hands, side hugs. We just don't greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, should we go to Romania? Just pucker up because that's just how they do it. But here's, here's Jacob. He serves her, good. Lays one on her, more familial than, than erotic. Then he steps up to man it. He tells her intentions. This is who I am. That's a good deal. Jacob told Rachel, this is who I am. He steps up to manhood. He's up front with his intentions. I remember dating my wife third time. I said, took her to a Wendy's because that's how romantic I am. I remember it. I was in a Wendy's in Dallas in, on Greenville in Dallas, Texas. And I took her into Wendy's and I said, my pastor told me that I don't get to go on and hang out with you unless I'm up front with my intentions. That's just what Tom Nelson taught me. So that's, that's all I knew. I had come from a, a, a silly background in college where that, you know, there was more of the verse 11 than verse, verse 12. And so I went to this girl and I said, look, you're beautiful. You and I seem to be on the same page with God. This is where I'm headed. I'd love for you to go with me. If you want to walk out today, no problem. No harm, no foul. I will not be offended. I just want to be up front. 
dips the French fry in the ketchup, and she said, I'd still love to do this. Six months later, I said, are we still on the same page? Because, again, I kept offering her a way out. I did. I was just like, if, if not, because my, I, I had done it wrong in my own life, but I'd been told, and it's true, just be upfront with your intentions. It makes everything better. This is where we're headed. Good for Jacob. Good for Jacob. And then there's this acceptance by Laban. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. There's that kissing thing again. And he brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. This is who I am. This is where I come from. Now, more on this in a minute. Laban knows what he's doing. He's happy. Laban's joy in here in 13 or excuse me, 14, here's Laban's boy. Laban said to him, surely you are bone in my flesh. You're of the family. And he stayed with him a month. And so, boom, woo. First 14 verses, we're walking through. We're at the well. God is blessing. This is good. God keeps his promises. He said, I'll give you land, seed, and blessing. And from your seed will come the nations. Got to have a wife. Well, it looks like we're well on our way to a wife. God's there with his presence. He's in the right place, the right people. He's got the right purpose. God is good in granting us his gifts. Now, if we were to end the story right here, just shut her up, you would be thinking, God is good. Here's a kid who, is, who just seems to be living in deception. He accepts Jesus, gets married to a pretty girl. What more could anybody ask for? But that's just not how God works. Because when you and I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, let's, let's just be up front and get it on the table. When we came to know, that moment we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, something changed about us. You know what that something was? We were going to heaven and to going to be with Jesus forever. Life changed. But something hadn't changed about, changed about us. We were still ungodly. Now we have the Holy Spirit within us that could work, but we were still ungodly. The moment I gave my life to Christ, I was eternally secure. But God, and I'll dare say God is still working on that same person. And sometimes he has to discipline. And if we were to leave the story right now, you might walk away from here and say, that's too good to be true. But we've got another 16 verses. Now, don't shoot the mailman here. I didn't write this. Don't shoot me. I'm just going to read it, explain it, pray, and we'll be done. But it's kind of awkward. So then Laban said to Jacob, he throws some bait out there. Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, who's Laban? Let's turn to Genesis 24. I'm just showing you from the Bible who Laban is. Genesis 24. Let's look at this guy. He's no dummy. Starting in 29, 31, and verse 50. 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. That's the same Laban. And Laban ran out to meet the man uh, Laban ran out towards the, spr- towards the man to the spring. And so he meets, remember this, he's going to meet Eliezer, Abraham's servant. Jacob is a smart guy. And look at 31. 
He said, this is Laban, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why should you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban knows what's going on. And in verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel, that's his daddy, answered him. So Laban's in on this deal of blessing Abraham. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So Laban knows exactly who this is. This is not Abraham. This is not Isaac, but this is Isaac's boy. I've, I know who Abraham was. I was there when Eliezer came and uh, he was getting a servant or he was getting a wife for Isaac. So I know what's going on. And I want to be a part of this blessing. So Jacob, smart guy, what are your wages? Now Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17. Leah's eyes were weak or soft or delicate. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Okay? And Jacob loved Rachel. So, You have an older and you have a younger. Sound familiar? And you have Leah, whose eyes are weak. They soft, they lack sparkle that that culture prizes. Now notice the sentence here. This is what it does not say. It does not say Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel had 20-20 vision. Okay? Doesn't say that. So we're not going to rip anything out of context. You go read, well, what does weak mean? And all the commentators want to just kind of hem and haw around the issue. Read it in context. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and in figure. Or in figure and in face. The New American Standard says in form and in face. Doesn't say Leah's eyes were weak and Rachel was 20-20. The contrast here with that word but is to show Rachel was pretty and Leah was not. And Jacob loved Rachel. Now, let me just give you a New Testament cross-reference so you don't give me that evil look. As what is he saying? First Peter chapter 3, ladies, says, Do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the impressionable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That's what we should shoot for. Amen. The gentle and quiet spirit. That's, but again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm just telling you how the story went. Descriptive, not prescriptive. Men, your wife is your standard of beauty. And along with affection, there should be attraction. Moving on. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So he knows exactly what's going on. Here's the older, here's the younger. The younger just happens to be more beautiful. I want to serve for her. Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. 
another stepping up into manhood. He shows initiative and he initially serves her. He steps up and he tells her his intention. And now he's going to serve Laban for seven years. Now the bride price wasn't worth seven years of labor. Got to remember that. He's going to serve her for seven years. Love is a great motivator, isn't it? Gentlemen, when you love your wife and you love your family, it's a great motivator for us to get out and do something. And that's what Jacob does here. He says he served Rachel for seven years. And look, here's a biblical greeting card. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Isn't that good? Gentlemen, take this home. Take the second half of verse 20. Write it on a card and give it to your wife. Just to... Just helping you. It's not even, if we got a long time to Valentine's Day, just do it because that's where we are in the Bible. Just say, we've been, we've been married for some of you for longer than I've been married to my wife. And just say, we've been married for so many years. It was just like yesterday because of my love for you. Try it. Just try it. You're, <laughs> try it. Oh boy, here's where it gets a little bit crazy. So he serves her for seven years. Can you imagine them just walking up and down? They're going to the well. He's serving her. He's getting to know her. He knows her favorite song, Jesus, Son of God. I mean, he's singing it to her. Come like the sixth year, the 364th day, he's like, <laughs> boom. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for that my time is complete. He wants to get married. He wants to tie the knot. He says, hey, Laban, we made a deal. I'm ready to get married. Isn't that good? Along those seven years, he's probably calling her, doing the Stevie Wonder thing. I just called to say, it's time to get married. He wants to get married. Everything's rocking along just good, right? Because this is, this is good. God's blessing. I'm working hard. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and they made a feast. Ooh, baby. Made a feast. I have a cross-reference in my Bible, Judges 14.10. And that's a good cross-reference. Judges 14, the life of Samson. Samson made a feast. It was really a keg party. That's what that term means. Go look it up in the Hebrew. It says feast, drink, party. Feast, drink, party. That's what he's doing. That helps. That helps with the story. He made a feast. Judges 14 was a feast. It's the same word used in 1 Samuel 25 with Nabal. Nabal made a feast and he got so drunk that he lived out his name, fool. And then you see it again in Esther, the word feast, where King Ahasuerus makes a feast and they're drinking out of all the goblets. That's the kind of feast that's going on here. You need to know that. Why do I need to know that? Well, Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast, a drinking party, a keg party, a kegger. And in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Wait a second. That's not right. He worked seven years for Rachel. So much so, if you notice verse 24 is parenthetical. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. It's almost like he needed to break. What's going on here? I need to, this whole, wasn't this Jacob and Rachel? Now it's Jacob and Leah. How'd all that happen? 
And then you see in verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Uh Uh-oh. I was supposed to get married to Rachel. This isn't Rachel. Now, I tell you probably why he didn't know what was going on is because he was at the feast. Make sense? I don't need to go any further than that. But what happened here, let's go back, let's not lose it. He had friction with his brother Esau. There was famine for his daddy Isaac. There was fear because he tricked his blind old daddy and he stole the birthright stole the blessing of his brother. So here's Jacob the deceiver. Just got schooled in deception. How much did he get schooled? Well, Laban is no fool. Laban knew exactly what he was doing. Laban was back there in Genesis 24. He knows who this is. He wants to get part of the blessing because he knows God's hands on him. So relationally, the nephew becomes a slave. He's almost working for free. The bride price wasn't even close. Theologically, Laban knows exactly what he's doing, and he's using Jacob to his advantage. Financially, we'll see next week. He changed, well, not next week, but the week after. He changed Jacob's wages 10 times. Over the 20 years that Jacob is with Laban, Laban is always finagling Jacob. And paternally, Laban had a daughter that he gave away in a way he shouldn't have given her away. That's probably the cleanest way to say that. Look what Jacob does. Behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, count them. What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Now, you think he caught himself on this? Why have you Jacob? Whoa. (laughs) Why have you Jacob me? Three times. I don't know about you, but if I go back to Genesis 27, verse 18, Isaac said, right in the middle of the deception, Who are you, my son? And then in verse 20, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And in verse 24, Are you really my son, Esau? Three times Jacob lied. Three questions. He was asked three questions. And here he gets gets schooled by Laban, who has a PhD in scheming. And he says, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve for Rachel? Why have you, and I can just see his face. Why have you, oh, you've Jacob me, right? Because people who do things to people, people who do wrong things to people don't want those same wrong things done to them. Thieves don't like to have things stolen. Cheaters don't like to be cheated. Murderers like to live. Uh, controlling people don't like to be controlled and manipulators don't like to be taken. And so he asked three questions, which I think grammatically shows this. This just is bringing you right back around. And Laban, the schemer that he is, well, it's, it's not, it is not done in our country to give the younger before the first one. Technically it's true, but he had made a deal. And so he went back on his word and he did the switcheroo. And so in 27, you get a new deal. 
Complete this one, the week of this one, that is the honeymoon. Complete the week of Leah, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And so we go from at the well to at the weddings, plural. No, we're not into polygamy. We don't agree with that. Descriptive, not prescriptive. So Jacob did Jacob did so, and he completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. We need another parenthesis. By the way, Laban gave his female servant Bilpah or Bilhah to be the daughter of Rachel to, to her servant. And then you see Jacob step up once again to manhood. He initially shows initiation and forethought. He serves her. He tells her his intentions. He, he goes and he, he motivated by love. He works long and hard for seven years. And even after the switcheroo, it says in verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban another 17 years. He steps up into manhood again. He just got schooled in deception. And I think from here on out, you're going to see in this next chapter, he doesn't do too well with um, female relationships. But you'll never see Jacob wrestle with deception again. Why do you think that's so? What have you done for 14 years? This just amazes me. This is what's beautiful about Jacob. So he's a sinner. He's a sinner last week, saved by grace. And now he's a saved sinner, becoming more holy. And the first thing God's got to do is, Jacob, you've been a deceiver all your life. We're going to deal with that. And you know what? He doesn't punt. He does. I'm done with God. This isn't right. He doesn't give up. Because one translation said, indeed, he really did love Rachel. Meaning his heart is in the right place. And he went and served us seven years. What have we done for 14 years? Jacob doesn't give up. He sees and understands his, his discipline, and he learns from it. And you'll see a change in him. Unlike his brother Esau, who quit, who gave up the, the birthright for a bowl of chili, Jason, Jacob perseveres through the discipline. Did you catch that? He perseveres through the discipline. So who's the hero in all this? Goodness. I mean, all of them sin. The, the shepherds didn't show initiative. Up front, whether we call that sin or not, they at least they were the shepherds who were there were passive. Jacob's still trying to work the system a little bit. Laban, well, he speaks for himself. He's just Laban. And don't miss this. Rachel and Leah aren't just totally uh, washed clean of this. And some of you are saying, well, I mean, they're, they're daughters and that they, they were in a patriarchal society. So when, when Laban wanted to say to Leah, uh, we're going to do the switch, they really had no say in it. Maybe. But, but Esther lived in that same day and age in a very patriarchal society. And her, her uncle said, for such a time as this, and she went in and she put her life on the line. So these, I'm not going to say it was above these two where they could have said, no, daddy, we're not going to do that. Leah could have trusted the Lord and said, no, daddy. Jacob has made this this commitment to Rachel. I understand, Daddy. I know, I know what's going on, but I'm not going to do that. Rachel could have said, "No, Dad, that's just not right." This, is, I mean, but they didn't. So nobody, see that, nobody in this story is a hero. The hero is God, who's into what this in the Bible is called poetic justice. 
right? Poetic justice, you've, you know it. You've seen the Roadrunner cartoon. That's poetic justice. That Dante's Divine Comedy is just a, an anthology of poetic justice. You've seen um, uh, the Italian job or that's just poetic justice. The thief gets things stolen from him. Inside the Bible, surely when you read Esther and you come to the last couple chapters of Esther, you laugh out loud. You do. Because Haman builds these gallows and he wants to hang, he wants to hang uh, Mordecai on these gallows and then he walks into and then it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep. And he walks into there and the king says, and the king gets up and what do you do when you sleep? You read Chronicles, right? That's what he's doing. He's reading the Chronicles. And it said here, Mordecai saved my life. And he's thinking to himself, what should be done for this guy? So Haman, the night crawler, walks in at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. And the king says, Haman, you know, what do you think should be done for a guy who's honored the king and done this? And he says, I know what you should do. You should put on him your robe, and you should parade him around the city and you should have him proclaim, this guy's one of the greatest. And you could just see Haman thinking to himself, he's probably talking about the goods here. So what happens? The king goes, I know what we're going to do. You're going to do that for Mordecai. Excuse me? Yeah, you're going to put my robe on Mordecai. You're going to take him in my chariot. You're going to take him around the city and just proclaim his name. And then he goes home in shame. And then eventually he is hung on his own gallows. That is poetic justice. And that is what God will do with those who are crooked. Look at this verse, Psalm 18, 26. With the pure, you show yourself pure. This is from the Bible. Don't kill the mailman. But with the crooked, you show yourself astute. Or with the crooked, you show yourself twisted. Whoa. Did did David, let me just look it up and... That's the new American standard. Let me just make sure David's not crazy here. Is that what it says in my Bible? Hold on. 1826. With the purified, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Is that in the scriptures? It's in the Bible. listen to one pastor this week, you, especially in passages like this, you go and you listen to several different guys like, how am I going to say this? But his point was, God will dance with anybody. And you come bringing your crookedness to God and he'll, he can show himself astute with your crookedness. You see, here, here's the poetic justice of all this. And this is beautiful. Jacob, the deceiver, used natural desire to get the birthright from Esau. Laban, uses Jacob's natural desire for Rachel to give the birthright to Leah. Jacob, though he knew because of the word of God to his mama, knew what was going to happen, didn't honor the firstborn Esau. So Jacob had to honor the firstborn Leah. Jacob goes in and to his dying blind daddy deceives him. And you've got a lively conniving daddy who deceives Jacob. And Jacob went with his mama to try to get away from his brother and get out of this mess. And you've got Leah working with her father to try to get out of a mess. And so if we have Genesis 29, 1 through 14, the blessing of God, we don't have 15 through 20, we might think that God blesses in spite of our sins. But this is what I want us to learn and 
We'll read one more passage and be done. God will allow us to live and to learn until we learn to live in, by, and through him. If there's something in your life, if there's bitterness in your life, God's going to keep bringing that back up until you learn not to have bitterness. If there's anger in your life, God's going to keep giving you situations until you learn not to be angry. If there's um, impatience in your life, if there's pride in your life, God's going to continue to humble you or impatience. He, he will put you uh, in traffic in the middle of Colorado because that's where he wants you. He will do it. You'll be driving home and you'll see you and 200,000 of your friends going to or from the mountains. And you'll get to sit there and go, do I trust God? Can I be patient? And here's the beautiful thing. God loves us enough to discipline us. You can't have one without the other. God loves us so much that he will discipline us. Let me just give you a sweep of the Bible. Uh, Adam and Eve, did he love them? You bet. He, he killed an animal and covered them, knowing that he wouldn't go with their fig leaf religion. Yet they were exiled from the garden. All three patriarchs, all chosen by God, Abraham out of Ur, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, all three were chastened for their sin. Job, in his questioning of God, went way too far in one passage, and God said, I'll give you 73 questions. Tell me, where were you when I did this? Moses, when in, begins his life, righteously so, sees a, an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, but in anger, it literally says in anger, he killed him, he tried to hide it. And so he's on the run, doesn't get to go in the land because he never got control of his anger. Samson, his hair left him in a tangled mess. David, thought he had a king's ex, goes out on his, his uh, patio one day, sees a beautiful woman, bring her to me. And so his adultery that he committed in secret and tried to hide by killing off uh, Uriah, now his coup by Absalom would be very public. Peter, prideful, prideful leader of the disciples. I'll never deny you. Never deny you. Three times before the roaster, roaster? (laughs) How about the rooster? Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me. And Paul, here's poetic justice. The arch enemy of the faith becomes the chief missionary. Do not be deceived, he wrote. God is not mocked. What you sow, this too you shall reap. You've heard it said before, sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a life. We reap what we sow. There are three kinds of consequences in life. There's moral consequences. Hebrews tells us, uh, before this passage, Hebrews tells us in 927, It is for man to die once and then he'll be judged. God gets the last laugh. To all those out there who are mocking him, he he will judge them. That those are moral consequences. There are natural consequences. If I were to go to the top of this building and jump off, I can believe I'm not stronger than gravity, but that won't prove true. I will fall. And then there are family consequences. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, there are family consequences. 
being a child of God, there are consequences. There are three kids. You don't see them today. They're not sitting here. There are three kids that live with me that I have a divine responsibility to discipline. Another sermon for another day, but you should be disciplining your children. It's in the Bible. It's there. Why discipline? Well, let's just think of the word discipline. The word discipline means to learn. It's the same root word of what we studied in Sunday school, Matthew 28, to be a disciple. And so God loves us enough to teach us. That's what he's doing. So let's read Hebrews and just see, where does Jacob's life in discipline fit with our life with Jesus? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so clings so closely. Let's just admit it. Sin, every day we're being, not that we are victims, but every day we, we have a propensity and the world just says, come on and sin. It, it's easy. It's the wide road and it clings. But no, let us put that aside. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. Praise God, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. Consider him who endured for sinners, that's Jesus, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we, how do we learn from discipline? How do we learn in our own lives? We think about the cross. Verse four, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. We're not that tough. And have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as what? Sons. It's a family. It's a family affair. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord and do not be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. And this is not just about little Lawson and little Luke. Okay? The writer of this is writing to adults. By now you should be teachers. He's writing to adults. And so don't look at this as the Bible talking down to us. Look at this as God saying, I'm your heavenly father and I will discipline you. you. You see my life played out in front of you. I'm angry. I'm impatient, right? I'm an angry man pursuing peace by God's grace. I'm an impatient man pursuing, pursuing patience by God. You see that because I have to get up and let you know about who I am. I don't always see what's going on in your life, but I assure you, God may be disciplining you. And this is a tough message, I know, but it was tough for Jacob to say, why have you Jacob me? And so my question to you today is, maybe you, if you're, a, if you're a bitter person, God, why am I so bitter? What's going on in my heart? Because the Lord will bring in situations in your life, again, because he loves you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating us as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The very fact that God may be making life hard for us in some areas is the very proof that he loves you. That is not what the world would say. 
but that's what the Bible says. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, those are our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Sit on that. This, it's one of those, you, you know you have to give the certain, this may sound more painful than pleasant. Not every week has got to be your best life now from the Bible, right? It's more painful than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now watch this connection. Natural consequences if I step off. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. He's just given a picture. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and it may become defiled. Esau had a root of bitterness. And look there, no sexual immorality. And that no one is sexually or immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, and he sought it with tears. There's your connected. That Esau didn't see God's discipline as loving, and he goes away, and he walks away. Jacob finally figures out, you know what? I can't live like this anymore. You know what? I have a responsibility to this woman, Leah, and I love this woman. I'll go serve another seven years. So here's my conclusion. You may, you may be in a situation because of your sin. Maybe relationships are rough with you and your spouse, maybe relationships are rough with you and your children at work, wherever, and that may be because of sin. Or you may not be in sin, but you may be coming back to certain situations because your response to those neutral situations are sinful. And I don't think the Lord will take you or me out of those situations until we have, quote, learned discipline our lesson. Here's the point. It's not always seeing a circumstance and trying to fix it, right? This is the circumstance I'm in. Let me fix it and get out of it. Maybe we need to approach circumstances and say, how is this fixing me? When hardships come, we shouldn't always ask, how can I change this? When hardships come, we should ask, how is this changing me? And here's the beautiful thing. I left out this one poetic justice story in the Bible. You may have heard it before that there was a a man come from God who lived a perfect life and that the world thought they were putting him to death as to to end all their problems. (laughs) And really it was his death that took away all their sin. And that same God loves us enough to save us and make us holy. So my final question and comment I want to ask is this. Discipline, it means to learn. And so what's going on in our lives? Let's learn the divine lesson. Question, Heavenly Father, what are, what are you trying to teach me? Not, not how can I change this? How can I move out of this real quickly? But what are you trying to teach? What, what can I do? What can I, how can my heart change in all this? I think that's what Jacob did. 
we'll see next week. He's still got a lot to learn. The week after that, we'll be back onto a more uplifting message, so to speak. Father, thank you for the tough sections of Scripture. The tough sections of Scripture teach us that you are a God who loves, just like we sang today. No other, there's no other love like this that a, that a deity would send his son to die for sinners. That he would go to the cross never once being deceitful, never once having a, a curse word come out of his mouth. But that you, Father, w- would send him to die for our sins and that you, in my own personal life, will take me back to situations until I learn how to trust you and to walk with you and to honor you in every situation. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we would not run from situations, but we, like Jacob, would see where you're trying to teach us and that we would serve well. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. passing out communion can come forward. Thank you.